Welcome to Paper Boys, the weekly podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I'm your host today, James, with my co-host as always, Charlie. Welcome, Charlie. Hello, Bad Jimmy. How's it going? I'm doing well. Doing well yeah, here doing bad. in uh, sunny Seattle, finally. No, I don't believe you. Actually, well, and by sunny, I mean like it wasn't raining today. I mean, so that is, that's like balmy by Seattle standards. I mean, I so I'm in California for five more weeks. I was home in Seattle over the weekend, and I heard it was the only sun that we got in the last, like, two months. So, Literally. I think you need me to come back and bring the sun. Yes, seriously. To um, complement the balmy Seattle conditions after a record-breaking month of rain in January, uh, I brought in a little paper about penguins that live in a sunny environment dude i'm really pumped about this and do you want to know why why is that well penguins because are my favorite penguins? animal yeah well i mean i do know why but yeah and you yeah. knew that i have a penguin bed spread which you also Charlie know. does have a penguin bread spread also this episode i'm excited to say came in on a recommendation from longtime listener john thank you for the recommendation john he forwarded us the link from popular science yeah john in connecticut Long-time listener. Out, very outspoken critic of Paperboys as well. Critic, but supporter. <laughs> I know, but I'm, supporter. Just, I'm just messing. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about this paper. It, I was like, well, you know, we've done a couple papers about animals, vocalization, and like speech and language. So I was like, well, you know, we've already covered this a lot. But this one was different. Yeah, so, so this is about, sorry, give me, the, give me just a quick high level of what this paper's about. So, okay, this paper is analyzing whether penguins have some commonalities in their vocalizations with humans. So, like, does penguin speech resemble human speech at all? I hope that it does. Does that mean that we could maybe talk to penguins? I'm going to hold that one out until the end of the episode. Whoa. <laughs> no I spoilers. mean, I was kind of joking, but it sounds like maybe there's some indication. Well, I also know how much you love penguins, and I don't want to crush, oh, crush okay. your soft little heart. Okay, well now I know the answer. Yeah, uh, in the short answer. No, but you're right. We short have done. No. Yeah, we have done. Uh, we've done actually kind of like a lot of linguistic type uh, papers. But you're but specifically mm-hmm. like we did that one about seals and whether seals can like s- learn to sing or talk. Is this yeah going to be kind of like that? Similar, Is this going to be as adorable as that? No, definitely not. When you hear these penguins vocalize or however you want to say it, you're going to be like, oh, there's a reason that they call them jackass penguins. For sure. Wait, that's actually the name of these penguins? Yeah, they're African penguins that were studied in this paper, but they're also known as jackass penguins because they make a braying sound that's similar to a donkey. Hmm. So. That, does, that sounds like uh, an annoying environment to be in for researchers. Ah, well, I got a little video clip for you. We'll play it in a sec. But Okay. Yeah, why don't um, you tell me what news... Uh, so you said that John sent you something from Pop Science. Is that right? Yep. So the pop science headline was, Jackass penguins talk like people. Both species know when to keep it simple. CNN said, Penguin speech patterns are similar to humans, a new study finds. And there were several other ones like that. The paper itself, though, came from the Royal Society's Biology Letters and was titled, Do Penguins' Vocal Sequences Conform to Linguistic Laws? Question mark. Hmm. It's like, like a little like, paper boy's headline. Yeah. Linguistic laws, I mean, obviously, specifically like human language laws, right? Um, 
Well, it's actually slightly more general than that. Uh, really? Yeah. So what was cool about this paper is they actually looked at information compression and two laws in particular that come up a lot in human language, but have also been shown to come up in some non-human primate languages, like the Galata male monkeys uh, in the mountains of Ethiopia. But, you know, humans and primates, you know, with some common ancestry, that's not a huge stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But to analyze these generalized laws of language and information in birds is seems like it's actually a pretty big step towards finding sort of these general language principles. Yeah, I never would have guessed that a study like this would be done on an animal like penguins. I would have thought like uh, orca whales or or non-human primates, something like that. So, so I guess an animal where like you commonly think of them as really speaking to each other. But penguins just kind of walk around and caw loudly and annoyingly. Yeah, or bray in this instance. Yeah. Although I have heard, you know, in the many penguin documentaries that I've watched throughout my life, uh, I have heard like mother or penguins can like identify each other's calls among like thousands of other penguins. Yeah. So does that that have anything to do with that? And like what they're studying in this paper? It's related. Like, so penguins have a... I think they can identify each other by like as little as a third of a syllable at times. Wow. It's like extreme and recognition. And that's among tons of other penguins that are calling. Well, this that's like an ideal circumstances. So one of the reasons they think that they repeat it so often is it follows like Shannon's information principles or one of his laws, the like great electrical engineer slash communication theorist slash information theorist, Claude Shannon, like by adding repetition, you increase the likelihood of re- successful reception. Okay, gotcha. So you're improving your signal-to-noise ratio in a very noisy, cawing environment. Man, this is like this is kind of like a magnum opus here. So we've got penguins, which are my favorite animal. We've got uh, Shannon information theory, which came up in the... Oh, what was that episode? It was the... Oh, like the universal bit per second can you communicate. Of speech, yeah. uh-huh. And we've got Animal Linguistics, which came up in the Seals Singing episode. Mm-hmm. This is like, we've just got everything coming together in this one. We need to do and, some self-citation okay. here. Okay, this is going to be a deep cut for okay. anyone who hasn't listened to like every Paperboys episode. But do you remember the episode about goats and whether they respond to emotional faces? Yes, of course I remember that. I'm pretty sure that's still my wife's favorite episode. <laughs> that was like our really? second one, yeah. So one of the authors on that, Dr. Alan McGillicott, he wrote a Penguin article with these same authors previously. No like a way. few years ago, initially studying these vocalizations. And I saw that and I was like, oh my God. Wow. It's going full circle. That's so cool. Man, that yeah. guy's just a legend in the animal psychology world. I know. I was looking at his <laughs> Google Scholar site and he has, like, I think his papers may be the like most fun to have written like he gets to interact with all these animals and like do fun experiments yeah wow okay so maybe we need to like put links to all these different well i guess the way that our website works these links will be on the episode page but the goat one in particular that that that's that one stands out in my memory as a fun episode so go check that one out one of the first one of the first okay so all this talk about penguins maybe we should actually talk about the penguins themselves yes please i'm sorry i'm James can attest to the fact that it took us half an hour to start recording tonight. 
I'm going to I'm going on lots of tangents today. <laughs> Which is funny because that's usually my move. But I know. it's a it's a welcome welcome exchange. So okay. The penguins that they studied in this paper were African penguins, like I mentioned, also known as jackass penguins. And they're like readily found in South Africa. They live in this like warm climate by the ocean. And so they're a little different from like emperor penguins in terms of like the conditions where they nest. So they do think that some of these conditions that they're exposed to for breeding and nesting may affect the way that they vocalize. But they have this thing called an ecstatic display song or an EDS as it's referred to in the paper. And these are like these mating songs that they perform, that the males perform, which sort of represents their, you know, strength and their ability to take care of their chicks figuratively and literally. Is that like Happy by Pharrell or something? <laughs> well, okay, let's pull up the clip. Now's the great time to actually show you what this EDS sounds like. Okay, two thoughts. One, that was adorable. I don't know why you said this was not as cute as the seals, but I might be a little biased. Two, that really did sound like a donkey. It really does, right? Yeah. So that's I mean, their ecstatic song. Wrong. Like that's how they signify that they're happy. Yeah, it doesn't quite sound like Pharrell, but they don't clap their hands like we do. No, they just kind of like make these like guttural braying yeah. vocalizations, as they're <laughs> okay. called. I like that. I think I thought that was cute, but. So are they looking at like that, that bray to see what like language is maybe encoded in that? Yeah. So the researchers analyzed 590 of these ecstatic display songs from 28 adult African penguins that were in like Italian zoo colonies. Hmm. And so it was actually kind of interesting in their materials and methods in the paper. They like talked about the microphones and recording devices that they use. I was like dude, we got to exchange some recording <laughs> beta with them. Yeah, yeah. Find out how they did noise reduction on that braying. Yeah, would you guys like to collaborate sometime on a podcast? Yeah. Yo, dude, what audio mixer did you use? <laughs> so they recorded, you know, 590 of these songs. And then you could hear in the audio that there are, there are some repeating sounds that are very distinct from each other. And... They actually break these down into three different syllables, like a type A, B, and C. Would we be able to identify those from that video we just watched, like all three? So A is the shortest, and it's like a short exhalation. B is the really long, drawn-out syllable. And then the last is a type C, which is more of an inhaling sound. Okay. Can we play that again? I want to see if I can hear the, all three. Yeah. So it's kind of like oh, A, yeah. C, A, C, A, C, B, C, B, C, B, C. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I definitely heard at the beginning, it was definitely like A, 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 A. And then the long B, E. See, I didn't really hear this. I, I had trouble hearing the C in the beginning. After the long B, I definitely heard like a squealing inhale, which I assume is the C. But I, ha I guess I had trouble hearing it at the other parts of the video. It's not quite as loud, but okay. I mean, yeah, 
I think your analysis is basically correct. They did it quantitatively then. Call me Dr. McGillicott, you know? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Animal. The penguin expert. Okay. So three syllables. So three syllables. And it's like you watch this video and you look back at the popular news headlines where that say like jackass penguins talk like people. And you're like, well, okay, not totally true. So what's the connection? Yeah. And do they all sound, do they all basically sound that way or do they have like unique kind of like unique variations among penguins? You said there were like 28 penguins they studied? They studied 28 adult penguins. And so there are some variations. They talk in the paper about why there's these differences in syllables. And the B syllable in particular is really important because it's it's long and drawn out. And Mm -hmm. so regardless of the length of the song, the B syllable remains long. And they say... The reason is because it's connected to like the physical size and like air capacity of the penguin. So it's like a show of strength, basically. Okay. So there's not really any like variation that they can do in the B because the B is like, you know, that's them trying to shout at the top of their lungs. You want it to be like loud and long and drawn out because you're like, check out how big my lungs are. Yeah. Okay. But what's interesting and what they find that does change is the frequency of different types of syllables. So what's the, in a song, what is the ratio of syllables that appear? Hmm. And then how does the syllable duration change over a given song length as well? And this ties, the reason that they analyze this is because this ties into two big laws in linguistics that are ZIPS, Z-I-P-F, law of brevity, which basically says the more frequently a word is used, the shorter that word tends to be. So the most frequent words in the English language are the, and, and of. Yeah. And that accounts for like over 10% of English words. Yeah. For me, it's me and I. Those are my most frequently used words. <laughs> me, me, me. All you, have to, all you have to do is look at our word clouds. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when we make word clouds of the episode transcripts and like the, the biggest word every time is like. Like, uh, I, me. Yeah. Makes me cringe. You folks have no idea how much editing I have to do on our, on our voices. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Charlie, as a, I mean, you're very well versed in this now at at this point, but the second law then is the Menzerath Altman law, which says that increasing the size of a construct. So like the length of a sentence or the length of a song results in a decrease in the size of its constituents constituents so yeah i'm gonna need help with that one so if i have a longer sentence in general i'll tend to use shorter words that to make up that sentence really or if i have in a static display song i'll tend to use shorter syllables to make up the song that one is actually not intuitive to me i'm trying to think of and maybe this is, and maybe it really only applies to speaking and so i don't think about it but i was just thinking of like if i'm writing a paper or something I feel like I unfortunately have long, too long sentences and too long words. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it doesn't work with writing. Maybe it's only the way you speak. Or is this from like general information theory? So it should apply to writing. I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty like general law of linguistics. So I think there are plenty of exceptions that we oh, see. But it is like a but, linguistics thing. This isn't like a Shannon's information stuff. No, no, no. The Menzerath Altman law is like a very linguistic law. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I guess it that makes does. Sense then. Yeah, it's sounded like 
you know, just from a little bit of reading, it may come up in genetics too. So like genes in the human genome, but uh, we won't go into that. Okay. I mean, that sounds like a very cool rabbit hole though. I know. I just can't speak intelligently about that enough. So uh, but that would be really cool if like it, if that law applied across both things. For next week, you'll have to do an information theory in biology paper. Yeah, two subjects that I can really understand well. <laughs> that that would Maybe. literally be like, that would be, this would make the whole thing opposite. I should be talking about penguins and you should be talking about information theory in biology. Well, neither of us should be talking about biology, but. That's true. Maybe for a future episode. Okay, back on track. Yeah, we, so, two, so, so far we have two linguistic laws. Uh, the first one was. Shorter words or word, phrases that are used more commonly are shorter. And yes. the second one Zips was uh, longer sentences use shorter words. Mm-hmm. And was there a third one? Just two. Oh, Just okay. Two. So, so are they going to try and exam- like see whether those hold for these penguins? Yeah, exactly. So previous research that they cite in this paper found that the wild male galata monkeys in Ethiopia can form in their calls their vocal sequences they can form to these two laws and so this paper is looking at well do these african penguins conform to it too giving the first indication that something other than a primate species uses essentially information compression wow okay compresses information to uh like more efficiently transmit information that was a little bit redundant but (laughs) okay so wait so you're saying this is the first non-primate study not just the first for like birds but yeah yeah this is the first the first showing yeah for a non-primate animal as i as i understood it from the paper cool so drum roll what did they find they found that uh yes in fact (laughs) the vocalizations of the african penguin do conform to these two laws so i can't say that that i'm surprised (laughs) Based on the fact that this made news in the headlines. Yeah, I know. 25 minutes of yeah. lead up for obvious facts. But I think it's kind of interesting the way that they actually went about this. So I mentioned they recorded like nearly 600 songs from these penguins, from different 28 different males. And then they did time frequency analysis. They generated, they're called spectrograms. So you can look at the frequency content of these songs over time. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this look- before, too, mm-hmm. for the uh, Saturn plasma waves, another really early episode. Yeah, this technique comes up all over the place. Um, a lot of great callbacks in this episode. I feel like yeah. this podcast is becoming the kind of thing where you just need to, you need to listen to them all so that we don't have to re-explain each of these little things every time. Yeah, it's slowly build like up your... One big, <laughs> yeah, like, it's like one big research paper, like... In episodes three, five, eight, and fifteen, we analyzed the spectrograms of. Yeah. Recall the definition of a spectrogram from episode two. And you're like, God, kill me now. <laughs> but if you actually look at these spectrograms, though, they're cool. I mean, I'm a big spectrogram nerd. I think spectrograms are great because you have to use them a lot for like, or you can use them a lot in wireless communications. But they display a lot of really interesting information, and. In this case, you can actually very clearly see the symbols. You can very clearly see the different syllables that the penguin is vocalizing as it's singing its song. So we'll post, obviously, a link to the paper on our website that you can check out. 
Okay. Is there a figure that I can take a look at here? Yep. I have one on the notes. It's the black oh, and yeah, white kind of grainy one with three plots. Okay. So I'm looking at this and it looks like there's a bunch of different, uh, there's a bunch of different like clearly delineated things in this spectrogram and they're labeled as these different syllables. Yep. And so there are three graphs. They're time series plots and each graph represents a song that a penguin vocalized and the different syllables are labeled in each song. And so what you see is the first graph is a shorter song, a little more than five seconds. The last one then is the longest song at nearly 10 seconds. And Charlie, just quickly and qualitatively, what do you see in the different proportions of the syllables between songs? Uh, let me see. Okay, the first song has a lot more of the long syllables, the Bs. Mm-hmm. The second song is like kind of an even mix of all of them. And then the third song is almost all A's with just one little B thrown in. And how long is the A syllable relative to the others? Oh, the A syllable is a lot shorter. So in the third song where it's all A syllables, you just see these like short little bands in the spectrogram where it just like quickly happens and then goes away. Mm-hmm. But the song is a lot longer. Wow. Oh my God. This is coming full circle. Zip's Law of Brevity. Dude. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. So the first one. Wow. I'm really glad that you like led me to the water here. So the first one <laughs> has has a lot of long syllables, but it's the shortest song. Mm-hmm. And the third one has a lot of short syllables and it's the longest song. Wow. There you go. That's so cool. Yeah. It's kind of neat, right? Who would have so thought? What they did then is from all of the songs, they classified the syllables A, B, and C. And then based on the total number of syllables in a song, they figured out like what is the relative proportion. So if a song had like 30 syllables, what's the proportion that of A syllables in that, B syllables, C syllables, etc.? And... Then for each of those syllables, they also measured what's the duration of the type A syllables and how does that vary? So that led them to make two more graphs. The first one plotting the number of syllables versus sequence size. And what you see is as the sequence size increases, the relative number of type A syllables increases a lot. But B and C syllables stays about the same. Yeah, that's really interesting. So for them to create longer and longer sentences, they're just adding more A syllables. Mm-hmm. Or, long, or songs, rather. But B and C, I mean, tops out at like... So this looks like it goes up to about 28 syllables is the longest one. Mm-hmm. And A climbs from, you know, zero all the way up to like 25 syllables out of 28. But B and C top out at like five like none of them really go more than five b and c syllables yeah so for these longer songs it seems like they're definitely changing the the frequency of syllables that they use one thing that like i don't know because i'm not a penguin biologist is what's governing the length of their songs and like proportionately how long are their songs generally like are they generally very short or are they generally very long that was one thing that i didn't quite pull from the paper So when they measure these, just I guess to take a quick step back, like when they measure these, you said they have like 500 songs from 28 male penguins. 
Does each one of these penguins repeat the same song very often, or are these 500 completely different songs? I don't know. I don't know. That would be interesting to look at on the penguin by penguin basis. I do think the like, from what they were saying with the type B syllables, how these are the long ones that are like very representative of a penguin's air capacity and physical stamina. I imagine like that duration must vary a lot between penguins. Yeah. But like um, if it's their ecstatic discharge song, was that what it was called? Display song. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say ecstatic discharge song sounds like something else, but yeah, uh, the song leads to that song. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> That's just Barry White. The ecstatic displacement song is like, I mean, you say it's a song. Does that mean that it is like uh, uh, something that that penguin like owns and, and does often like it's its mating call you know or is it like it just whenever the penguin feels happy it's gonna just like start throwing out a bunch of random syllables for no reason like if i just started yelling out random words whenever i was happy instead of saying the same like oh goody every time yeah i i'm not totally sure with these penguins i'd have to do more research when i was like i was reading more about animal communication as i was looking at this paper and there are birds that pass down songs like from generation to generation, really, which is really cool. So like they have their own unique song That's that really the dad cool. teaches the sons. But um, I didn't see any evidence of that in this paper, at least. Hmm. Okay, sorry. That's, that's that's probably only like that's a... your that's your in that's your in for penguin research, man. You found the gap. Yes, seeing which penguin is the absolute hit machine of the colony. <laughs> Where, yes. Which one's like the Beyonce? <laughs> the Beyonce penguin. It's got a ring on it, probably. <laughs> yeah. So this analysis that they did with these songs is really cool. And it's cool that it like lines up with those linguistic theories you were talking about before. Did they do any like more detailed analysis on the data they collected? Or was it just these couple of plots that you showed? Um, they did do some statistical analysis of the data. And like, especially to verify their labeling of the syllables to the spectrograms, um, that was an automated modeling process. But after that, the it's like a six-page paper with like really four and a quarter pages of text, a ton of references, and like a page more than a page is dedicated just to discussing the results. And sort of talking about how this fits into an evolutionary perspective of penguins. Oh, okay. So, so James, how so does this fit into the evolutionary in? perspective of penguins? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't have like a super clear answer. This part was like actually really interesting to read. But I, truthfully reading this, like I didn't get a clear sense of like how they rationalized these changes um in the syllable proportions and uh frequency in the songs like yeah you could think that using more syllables to communicate a message versus fewer would like be more energetic so it's less favorable in that instance and they talk about the benefit of transmitting like redundant syllables because it basically improves the odds of another penguin hearing it especially in like windy conditions by the sea so it makes sense to repeat something like that and yeah. you know 
maybe there's some control over if you're trying to change the distance, like if your mates are farther away, maybe you repeat it more. So there's better likelihood that they'll hear you. But so um, it sounds like they presented this observation, which lines up with these linguistic theories. Like it gives us the what it doesn't necessarily give us the why. No, I think the why is going to be, I think the why from an evolutionary perspective maybe needs to be studied in more detail. Mm -hmm. I mean, in general, when I was reading about Zipf's law and the Mensworth Altman law, the idea is that animals are lazy and you want to spend as little energy as possible trying to get your idea across. Yeah. Like why write in a hundred pages what you could say in a paragraph? Yeah. I don't know if it's because they're lazy. Uh, it's because they're fighting to survive tooth and nail every day. I call that laziness. <laughs> no. But it's so uh, easy know. from your from your high horse, James. I'm I'm about as lazy as they get, man. Um, well, I'm, I, I but wonder. I'm efficient. I'm efficient. That's true. I wonder also if there's any effect of the fact that they're observing penguins in a zoo who really don't want for anything. Like they get, you know, they get free fish all day long and probably reproduce at will. I don't know. Free drinks all day. Yeah, they've got fans ogling them. They're like these are like celebrity penguins. You know, it would be like trying to study the struggles of you know of poverty in the world by going to hollywood and seeing how celebrities behave yeah (laughs) that's a bad analogy (laughs) but uh but you know i mean like when you talk about these evolutionary considerations i just wonder if you know how natural penguins will be behaving in the zoo do they talk about that at all in the paper no and i wish they did because they talk about the difference in lifestyles between different penguin species mm-hmm. and how like the vocalization is very likely affected by the species and where they tend to breed but they didn't mention like you know these penguins were in a zoo how are the vocalizations different in a wild population like if yeah. you actually went to south africa and measured it yeah. so that's something i would have been interested to see do they say like even in that discussion like further work should be done in the field to see if this holds up in the wild because I would be, because I mean, it like, sorry, all this sounds kind of like I'm trying to take away from the work and say like, oh, well, maybe it's not legitimate. It's actually exactly the opposite. It's like, this is a really cool thing to have observed in this kind of controlled environment. Uh, now let's go out and see if that holds in the wild. And hopefully it does. And, you know, and that's how, that's how science is done in any field. Yeah. No. So I didn't catch any glance really at what their future work would be. I didn't find it in the paper, not because I didn't try to. Uh, there just wasn't a section on future work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would be really curious to see that. And, the, like, there is some interesting discussion about that, like I mentioned in the discussion section of the paper, logically. But, I mean, you know, I spent a couple hours reading this and going through, and it was, like, it's hard for me to just pull out, like, what the, what the like, the bigger point was in that especially like comparing different species. So it's probably just my density of brain in a bad way. (laughs) Density of skull, mostly. Well, and also like in, in, uh, I think what we find with a lot of papers is, I mean, it's really fun to read and learn about this stuff, but the reality is that the people who, the audience that is best served by most of these papers are other experts in that field. So, you know, and Alan McGillicott probably reads this paper and it's immediately obvious to him what the significance is. Whereas for you and I, not being familiar with the entire body of literature surrounding this, 
except for what's presented in the paper itself. It could be a little hard, harder to pull that out sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. So, I mean, without going through the like, you know, 40-odd references that they've listed here, it's hard to really have the full picture. Um, and even then, these are very experienced researchers and scientists writing it. But overall, well, here's, I, here's my take. Uh, penguins are adorable and sing songs just like humans. They're basically just like people. They're just like cuter people. Yeah. The world would probably be a better place with more penguins. Yes, I oh, completely agree. One episode, one episode we didn't tie this to, which isn't like a super happy episode, but the one about penguin populations in the future going extinct. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one was about um, the effect of climate change on penguins, right? On their breeding habitats, right? Yeah, the breeding of penguins. Man, I, I think I kind of put that one out of my memory because it made me so sad. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if basically by that train of logic, you know, if there were more penguins, global warming would be reversed because penguin populations are correlated with global warming. And that's how that works. Yes, it definitely. That's definitely the directionality of that. So more penguins, better world. Yes, I, I agree with that statement, even though your science is flawed. <laughs> well, you know, the math checks out, though, yes. right? Yes, totally. Oh. Well, okay. All of this, all of our silliness aside, this is a really cool paper. And yeah, I always was, like hearing about penguins. It was really fun to read. Um, it was interesting. Like, I think information theory is generally very interesting. And yeah. so to see those principles and analysis techniques pop up in like a very novel application from my perspective was sweet. I liked it. Was there anything that like Great jumped out? John. Yeah. Thank you to John in Connecticut. Uh, was there anything that jumped out, like from the news, about the coverage of this paper? Um, I could tell just from the articles that, like, the people generally read about it. It seems like this topic has actually come up in the news previously, like five or six years ago, with oh. studies of vocalizations for penguins from actually some of the same authors too. Oh, cool. Um, not quite addressing these two big laws of uh, linguistics, though, but. I think my if I had to make one comment about the popular science headlines, it's like they made it sound like penguins were communicating like humans. And there were some like very fundamental differences between how humans com communicate and how penguins communicate, obviously. Yeah, I think I was led to believe by the headlines that you read at the beginning that this would be like, or rather that the way the penguins were communicating would be this very nuanced and uh, detailed thing. But it's really like, okay, this one specific species and, and population of penguins doing this one specific type of song that they like to do follows these two specific rules that human language happens to also follow. Yes, exactly. Okay. Like, I watched some videos about Coco the gorilla previously. Mm, yeah. Do you know, you know about Coco? Yeah, the gorilla that they taught sign language, and it's always kind of a controversy over whether... Coco actually could speak or not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting watching videos with her. Like Robin Williams, the actor, famously went to visit her and they had this interaction. Yeah. And so you like watch that and you're like, okay, like there's a lot of analysis you could do on like the signs and like how you put signs together to communicate information. And this one was like, I guess like a more like cut and dry statistical analysis of like syllable frequency and recordings of penguins. But yeah, I which I think, in, I yeah, I think in a lot of ways makes, I mean, that's more scientific, you know? 
like you can't really argue with the facts that are presented here yeah and it, it was uh i think overall like a well-written paper even though i didn't quite get the discussions but like you you looked at the the plots and i thought the plots did an excellent job showing what the hypothesis was and how the data proved it yeah so i concur good i would say a good template paper to peruse in your free time cool yeah if anyone uh was it open access i'm gonna check right now it's hard because i usually access these papers at school where we have access through the like the firewalls but it looks like this actually is open access so check out the paper on our website paperboyspodcast.com yeah well also you can get to it through our twitter and instagram uh we're on both of those at paperboyspod is our handle and uh, finally, we would really appreciate it if you checked out our Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We do a bonus episode every month, and this month is uh, all about love. And given that Valentine's Day is tomorrow, I think this is kind of a must listen. Yeah, it was a super, it was a super interesting episode to do. You've probably heard about the 36 questions to fall in love that made headlines on the New York Times, but it's still worth a listen as we dive into the actual research behind that paper. Yeah. And uh, we have a video that accompanies that as well. Um, so if you go you, and check that out, you can see see me and James. I don't know. I think I think there's a lot more uh, emotion conveyed when you can see our faces. Like you'll see James wincing at you know stupid stuff that I say, and me laughing off mic at stupid stuff James says. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a little more intimate experience. Yeah. So get as intimate as a podcast can get. <laughs> yeah, that is recorded over Skype. So yeah, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We'd really appreciate it if you if you subscribe to us there. Thanks everyone. Join us again next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening. Paper boys.